Well, thanks for the double introduction. Appreciate it, especially the ping pong part. I'll challenge him later. All right. I'm going to be in Exodus 33. Uh, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. It's church. We're going to be reading in Exodus 33. Um, in just a moment, I'm going to read the passage and we'll pray and we'll get started. But I felt like my sermon just got preached. Uh, we just sang through it. So thank you guys. I can go now. I appreciate it. That was amazing how much I, I went out of my way not to give any input on the music. Uh, I stayed back. Ryan asked me. Uh, Andrew asked me. And I just sat back and said, you guys got it. And so... Uh, I would just give a thumbs up. He'd say, hey, what about these? Sure, thumbs up. And literally, I'm so grateful for uh, the music that we have, that we sang, because if you know Christ, if you know the Lord, then there is worship, and we don't always know how to express it, and these songs give us a vocabulary to express that worship, uh, to express what we're feeling, so I, I appreciate the music, it really is. You're going to hear everything we sang today again as we read. Uh, but I'm going to ask a question before we read and get started. What is God's glory? Because um, I'm going to be talking about God's glory. That's what Exodus 33 is going to be about. And what is God's glory? And that's a big question to wrestle with. Uh, God's glory... We'd say, well, that's just how big and good God is. And that's just God he's set apart. And he's, well, that's his holiness. So what is God's, what is God's glory? And we, that's something i got to wrestle with before we even get into the lesson, before we get into the text here. But what are we talking about when we say God's glory? Because we say we were created, Isaiah 43, 7 says, we were created to give God glory. That's why he created us, for his glory. So can I actually give God glory? Do I add anything when I praise God to his glory? And the answer is no, I don't add to his glory. He is glorious. And so then when we think of holiness, when we think of uh, some of the other words we use in church, what do those words mean in holiness being set apart? Holiness being how he is different than any other. He is higher. He is smarter he is all-knowing he is all of those things above every other and that's his holiness being set apart there and so I think as we read here we're gonna see it seems that God's glory is the revealing of that holiness the revealing of that power the revealing of all those aboveness it's the manifestation of of the holiness of God, of the power of God, when it comes and is revealed. And that's why in Matthew, um, oh, stink, I wrote it down. Matthew 5, 16 says that you are to let your light so shine before men that when they see your deeds, they will give God glory. So as we move and act and speak and do, it is to be in a way that manifests God's aboveness. Amen. His power. That's the glory of God. We do not add to His glory. God's glory is the manifestation of His power, of His holiness. And so as we go, in fact, uh, we just sang about it. 
in Isaiah 6, 8 that we just sang, holy, holy, holy. And that's what the angels, the seraphim, are singing. And they cover their face as they do it. But you would think that they would say in that passage, it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of, of hosts. The whole earth is full of his, and you would think it would be holiness. That's what it should say, right? Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of your glory. Because when that holiness becomes manifest and present and revealed, that is his glory. Amen. All right. That's not even in the notes. That's just my... As I was thinking on the way this morning, we got to talk about what holiness is before. And then we sang it, and I was like, there it is. There's the holiness of God. So thank you, Ryan, for that. So let me read here in Exodus 33. I'm going to read verses 12 through 22. In chapter 33, verses 12 through 22. I'm going to read those. We'll pray, and we'll get started. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. So Moses says back, if your presence won't go with me, don't bring me. I don't want it. Don't bring me from here. Verse 16. For how will it be known that I've found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not that you go with us that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you because you found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will. I'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But you can't see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you will stand on the rock and while my glory passes by I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by then I will take my hand I'll take away my hand and you will see my back but my face you will not will not see there's all of our songs this morning except one and we're going to pray that one now so let's pray as we open this Amen. Father God, we do ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our heart. God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that knows and understands that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of knowledge of Jesus Christ so that as we behold and look to your glory, that we would move from glory to glory. That you would be honored and praised and worshipped as you are due. So God, speak now and let us hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Moses asks a really big, 
request here. He, uh, the biggest, I think, that has ever been asked. I think this is probably the biggest request that anyone has made, did make here, or will ever make. If Moses had asked uh, to part the waters, you know, just part the sea and then close it together on the Egyptians and their chariots and their horses, uh, somebody could have rivaled that. In fact, Moses did. Uh, if Moses had asked for fire to fall from the heavens, somebody could have matched that request. Some, in fact, somebody did. And so he could ask a lot of things. But this one request is a request so big that God actually has to put him on pause for a second. Say, hold up. I'm going to do something for you. But what you're asking, you can't handle this is the biggest request, and I don't know if I'm in a place where I could ask that request. Um, I didn't intend on talking about it, but now I feel led to share a little bit of my home life. Uh, our, your pastor, Andrew, he's got some stuff going on, right? He's, he's got some sickness at home. He's got some stuff that his, his wife has had terrible pain. Uh, has had had a surgery again after having a baby. That's a lot of stuff. And so I can empathize with some of those things because at our house, I have a wife who is often debilitated. She, uh, we mentioned earlier that she had gone to Peru. She was in the jungles of Peru for two years as a journeyman uh, with IMB and so she went and did that. She lived there in the jungle. She's amazing. Uh, but while she was there, she caught some stuff that was not fun. And when she got back, she got West Nile on top of that. And so she's had one thing after another. And so now she has some illness that keeps her in the bed most of the days, most of the week. Can't get up and do. She's in chronic pain that doesn't seem to go away. They can't find what's wrong. We've been to every kind of specialist and every kind of doctor. And so as we pray, God help, heal, restore, move, work. And we do that every day. Um, she has migraines so bad that sometimes she'll go blind and sometimes she'll go mute where she can't speak. She can't see and her body will draw up where she can't move for hour, hours and hours at a time until finally when, when she can move again. She's so exhausted that she can't. That's been going on for a good nine years now. That's a lot. I say that to say this. Do we realize what we're asking of God? For example... When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say, give me this day or my daily bread. You know you're not really asking for provision, but rather for withholding. Don't give me enough bread to get me through the year. Don't give me enough bread that I don't have to come back in the morning. Give me this day my daily bread, not my weekly bread, monthly bread, quarterly bread. We literally pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, withhold from me everything that keeps me from depending on you. Do we realize what we're praying? 
when you pray, God, I want to see a miracle so bad. I'd love to be there in Scripture when people were raised from the dead. I'd love to see a man raised from the dead, and I'd love to see someone healed of blindness. But you know what you got to have first to see those things? A dead man. Are you willing to go through the sickness? God, I want to see a miracle. All right, here's infirmity. <laughs> Here you go. Let's, let's fix it. Uh, that actually happened in Scripture where the disciples are walking with Jesus. I know I've left my notes. I'll come back in a minute. The disciples are walking with Jesus and they say, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus says, Neither. This was so that the works of God, so that the glory of God, so that the power of God might be displayed, that you might believe right here. You're welcome. Did that man know knew what he was asking when he asked to be healed? Let's say he's been sitting there every day for his 38 years. That's the man at the pool of Bethesda. He's been laying there begging to be healed for all of those years. Does he know what he's asking? Because up to this point, he has sat there with his hands out and he has been provided for because he's made it these 38 years. And he holds his hands out and that's how he gets his bread and that's how he gets his money. Now he's healed. Who's going to hand him his money now? He's now going to have to get up and do something. Do we realize what we're asking? I don't know that Moses does because this is a big request and one that God says you can't handle it. Great faith made Abraham beg on behalf of Sodom, right? That was great faith. Great faith gave Jacob the fortitude to wrestle with the angel. I mean, that's a big deal. Great faith drove Elijah to call down rain from the skies and actually make fun of their other God. Go back and read that sometime. He he actually stops and says, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Go back and check that out. That's pretty big faith. But this prayer, this request, is bigger than all of those put together. This is a bigger deal. I want us to understand my job as a father, uh, my job as a husband, my job as a teacher at the downtown rescue mission or as a minister anywhere that I speak, my job in view of God calling me as an ambassador for the king, right? My job is to make sure that others stand in awe of God. Amen. His faith couldn't be matched at this point. In other areas, it sure could. But right here... This is like the pinnacle, the highest peak of faith that we're seeing in this passage. If I ask that of God, how in the world do I have the guts to do that? To ask God, hey, show me all of your glory. Let me see and behold your face. My bones would tremble, right? Like everything in you has got to be terrified to ask God. I have guys at the mission that will come and ask me things expecting me not to. But what if I say yes? Somebody tries to call your bluff. I bet you won't do this. We all have that. Somebody says, I bet you won't. When you're younger and less wise and somebody draws the line in the sand and says, cross this line. Let's go. Let's throw fists. Bet you won't. Your request, you may be standing there terrified about to wet yourself because what if they do? Calling their bluff. And then look here, 
Like, imagine how terrifying that would be. Like, I want to see God's glory, but what if he actually shows it? How terrifying that would be. And so how do you get such incredible faith? How do we get to this point? How do we get to where we can ask that? Well, this isn't Moses' first encounter with God. This is not his first time. I always tell the guys in the program, blind faith is stupid faith. Let me say that here. Blind faith is stupid faith. It's what has you drinking a Kool-Aid in the jungle somewhere with Jim Jones. That is dumb. Nobody in scripture went on blind faith. Peter, he's in a boat. And Jesus is walking on water. And Jesus says, come on. He says, no, 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 unless you call me, I'm not coming. He says, it's me, come on. And so finally he gets out of the boat. Even the woman who walks up and Jesus says, wow, that's great faith. Your faith has made you well. She touches the hem of his garment and she's healed. Why did she know to go to his garment? Why did she know to go to Christ? Because she had heard and seen of his power and his kindness and his mercy, his grace and his love. Blind faith is stupid faith. And it would have been stupid faith if Moses did not know what he was asking. There's a man who doesn't know what he's asking later on uh, in the story as the disciples, as the apostles are healing and doing, casting out demons. And this uh, magician, this sorcerer comes running up and says, how much? How much for that Holy Spirit? And he wants to buy the Holy Spirit. That was stupid faith. He did not understand what he was asking and going for because he had no relationship. Moses has a relationship. He's been 40 days with the Lord. Intimate, talking, learning, hearing. He's called a friend of God. They are friends. They are developing a really good relationship here. He's got the burning bush. He's got all kinds of stuff where he has been in intimate relationship with God. And in fact, he still isn't ready to ask the big question. Did you catch back in 13? I think it's 13. Where he asked a, a lesser question first. Let me see if that's right. Verse 13 of chapter 33 in Exodus. Now therefore I have found, if I have found favor in your sight. Please. Please show me now your ways. He's warming up. He's warming up. He doesn't even start with the big question. Because he still understands reverence and awe of God. The way you approach God is not arrogantly. And he is very aware of this greatness of this God. In fact, he's the one going up the mountain because when God spoke and it thundered and shook the earth, all the people said, don't ever let God talk to us. You go up there. They were sore afraid of this God because they understood his greatness, his aboveness, his glory to some degree. And so Moses, he has a relationship, and so he knows how to ask. He knows how to stop, and first he says, okay, let's test the waters here. God, could you show me your ways? Give me some direction. What should I do? Where should I live? How should I be? What should I say to these people? How should I lead? So he doesn't just stop and rest on past answers, though. He's asked God, and he's seen God work, 
And God says, I'll do this for you because that's what it goes on to say. He says, show me your ways. And God says, I will do this thing that you asked. You are a friend. He says, you have found favor. So I will do this thing that you ask. And he goes, oh, you're going to do whatever I ask, huh? So then we get here into verse 18. And he, uh, let's see. Oh, turn the page. In verse 18 where he says, Moses said, then please show me your glory. He doubles down and he runs for it. He tests the waters and God says, yes, I will give you what you ask for. Okay, then I got another one for you. You're going to show me your ways? Thank you. Now I got another one. Show me your glory. I want the whole thing. I want all of it. So I don't know that he fully understood what he was asking, but he does ask even more. So let me say this for us, just some practical thing before I even get to point one. I'm almost there. The first thing before we even get into this is don't be slow to go to God. Don't be slow waiting till you get everything figured out, till you got everything perfect. He says, come to me if you're worn out, you're tired, come to me. So just something to notice there. Moses goes and he asks, and then when he hears, he asks again. He doesn't wait another year. He goes ahead and asks. So let me, let me, three things that I want to see in this text. Three things. I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. We're going to look at God's glorious, gracious manifestation of this glory. We're going to see that. Then we're going to see God's gracious concealing of himself and some of his glory. And we're going to see God's glorious and now I've got to look at my notes. And gracious shielding and how he shields him, which is different from concealing. In concealing, he just hides it away. In shielding, he's going to actually protect him from something, and we want to see what that is. And so here, this first one, this prayer that he, he offers up, this quest, request of God that he asks for, God hears his request and he gives Moses a gracious manifestation. Gracious manifestation. And what I mean by that is he can't fully show his glory to Moses and not because he is not able, not because he can't, but because Moses can't. He has to withhold some there. And so he does manifest his glory to some degree. But what he does instead is we're going to see he manifests these two attributes. Two of his attributes that are huge. And so the first one that he shows here, as much as is possible, he's going to show him two attributes. And so I started listing, like, which ones could he have shown? He could have shown his wrath. That's an attribute of God, not one you want to see firsthand. He could have shown his holiness, his set-apartness, and he does to some degree. He could have shown his power and his might and destroyed the whole mountain that he was standing on. He could have shown his omniscience. He could have shown his justice. He could have shown him peace that just passes all understanding where he doesn't even want to know anything anymore. I'm just cool to chill here in the presence of God for a minute. But he says it is his goodness. 
I will let my goodness pass before you. Did you catch that? You cannot show see my face in verse 20. You cannot see my face. Man shall not live, uh, see my face and live. And then he says, now I've got to find it. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place that you'll stand by the, and by the rock. And then while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. Stink. Where did I see? Now I've lost my spot. Oh, verse 19. I'm sorry. Verse 19. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim my name. The Lord. I will let my goodness pass before you. What is God's goodness? It's Christ. His goodness is found in him giving mercy to whom he will give mercy. If we were to stop and name all, all of the ways God has been good to us just in this room, this isn't even that big a group, right? And if we were to list all the ways that God has been good and read that list, we'd be here for a while. Imagine doing that with all of the earth, throughout all of history. If we were to sit down on a, a rock, on a bench, on a chair, on a sofa in our recliner and just watch on a panorama of God's goodness, how long do you think we'd be watching it? It would be forever. And he says, I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. He shows him an attribute, and it's a good one, but goodness alone is not enough. Goodness alone falls short. The goodness of God is not sufficient, and I know that sounds terrible. Before you throw me out, hang on. There's a man, um, I'll tell his name, I don't mind. His name's Rob Bell. I don't recommend you go listen and read his stuff, but Rob Bell uh, says that God is only good. So God will never punish any for eternity in hell. And he says, God is only good. So let me tell you, if you only know the goodness, you don't know the fullness. You don't know the truth. And some people elevate God's goodness above every other attribute of God. Don't do that. So God's goodness, all of it passes before him. But he makes sure to let him know, little man, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Right? I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. He matches his goodness with his sovereignty, with his power. He says, I am in control. I decide where goodness is. You've made your request and let me tell you, I'm going to give you your request to some degree, but I decide it. And so he reminds him, it is his sovereignty and his goodness that we must understand together. Not elevate one over the other. They tried to do that to Moses and Aaron when they said, who died and made you king? Why should you, God, you lead us? We're just as holy as you are. They were trying to put fairness above God's sovereignty and God's plan. Don't do that. Well, that's not fair. What is fair? Hellfire and brimstone, that's fair. We want to talk about fair. If you, want, you and I want God to be fair, let's burn it up. 
because that's what's coming. Hellfire, damnation, that's what's coming if we want fairness. Praise God, He is sovereign. Amen. And good. That's a good thing. I'm going to jump on over because if I don't, I'll never get finished. Man. He does this glorious, gracious manifestation of himself and shows him his goodness. And it is enough to make even Paul later on as he writes uh, in, where do I have that? Romans 12, 1. For the sake of Christ, he is willing because of the mercies of God to offer his body as a living sacrifice, right? Because he sees this goodness, these mercies, this manifestation of God's goodness, and he thinks it's worth giving up his whole life. If Christ is not enough, if knowing Christ is not enough for you to come follow him and give up your life, you don't know him. If you need the promise of health and wealth and prosperity, which is the devil's gospel, then you don't know Christ. If you need me to tell you everything's going to be fine and you're going to have lots of money and you're going to get better, and then Christ is not enough. Paul thought so. Moses thinks so after he sees it. Stephen thought so as he's being stoned to death and looks up and as he's being stoned to death, he's like, this is awesome. I see heaven. And they just screamed louder and killed him faster. And he didn't even care that he's being stoned. He doesn't even notice the pain. All right, number two. Number two, the second thing, God's concealing, God's withholding here, his gracious withholding of something. Moses prays. God hears and he responds. He gives him gracious concealment. In verse 20, he says, you cannot see my face and live. You cannot see my face and survive it. To behold all of what you're asking for will literally kill you. There is as much to be learned by what is withheld from scripture as what's in there. And I don't mean go digging for what's withheld. If he wanted you to hear it, if it was good for you to know the mysteries, the secret things belong to the Lord, right? In Deuteronomy? The secret things belong to the Lord. If it was good for you and me to know it, he'd have put it in there and you'd know it. It is gracious of him to withhold some things. I got guys coming all the time and we're talking about life and death in addiction and struggle and all kinds of things. And they come in and they're like, well, I just want to know uh, about the Nephilim and how, you know, they came and slept with the women and had these giant babies and all this. I want to know about did animals, could they talk before the fall? Because the serpent's talking to Eve and she didn't think it was weird. And I want to know, like... How long was Satan around messing stuff up before this actually happened? And they're asking all these questions. And I'm, my first question is, do you know what it does say? It says, tame your tongue. Have you done that yet? No. Then what are you worried about the mysteries for? Once you figure out, in fact, once you figure out and you have attained all of the things that Scripture is black and white, definitely uh, positioned on, then go look for the mysteries. How about that? 
Because, man, we say it's okay to be angry. In your anger, be angry and do not sin. No, 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 no. The rest of that passage, the rest of that actually says, be angry and do not sin. Then it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then verse 31 says, don't have anything to do with anger. Put it away from you. Be done with anger. So he withholds, and it's a good thing. And no sinner can see the face of God and live. But I would say this, no saint can see the face of God and live too because it's not because of a spiritual or moral inability. It's because of a physical inability. And in fact, just talking about the things God hasn't told us, it doesn't actually say we ever get to behold his, his glory and fullness even after we're in heaven. Now, don't run me off. It doesn't. That's speculation to assume we're going to see him in all his fullness and glory because even the angels cover their face as they circle and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It says they have six wings. With two they fly. With two they cover their face. With two they cover their feet. And they sing, Holy, holy. They can't even look on him. Just speculation. That's how big God's glory is. And we need to have a big view of a big God and his big glory. Amen. All right, thirdly, with my last four minutes, this prayer was heard by God, by a good God, by a sovereign God, and he gave him gracious shielding. Gracious shielding. Oh, I've got notes up there. That's awesome. Verse 21 and 22. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. We just sang about that. Hide in the cleft of the rock. And I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. This gracious shielding is a big deal. Moses in the... Uh, Wilderness, he strikes a rock and water gushes out and it's salvation to the people. And then I had there uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10 4 mentioned, uh, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Amen. There is something here in this text. I believe this rock is Christ. This rock that Moses is now to be hidden in. Because God's going to show his glory, some of it, all of his goodness, his sovereignty and his power. And he's going to show this to Moses. And he says, I'm going to hide you over here in the cleft of the rock. Why does he need to be hidden in the cleft of the rock? Because to see his glory will completely obliterate him. It will completely destroy him. You and I will be destroyed when we stand before God if we stand in the fullness of his glory and goodness and holiness and we will be destroyed if we are not in the cleft of the rock. What is the rock? I would say the rock is Christ. Amen. Noah stood in an ark and it didn't matter if he stumbled and fell. When he fell, he was still in the rock. So he got back up. That's why, that's why the Psalms say uh, the righteous man stumbles seven times but he gets back up. If you're in the rock, if you're in the cleft of the rock, that's the only way you will stand at judgment when God is there before us. That's sinner and saint. That is every person ever. 
If we are not hidden in the cleft, so he gives Moses a gracious shielding of this rock, which I believe is Christ. He's done the same for you and me. He has given us an opportunity to come and hide in the cleft of the rock because you and I will give answer. We will see his glory to some degree. We can see some of it now. We are to be walking in it now, manifesting his glory to those around us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says, We with unveiled faces behold the glory of Christ. And as we move, as we do that, we will move from glory to glory. We manifest his glory. One minute. Revelation 6, 8. I didn't have a thing for it. I didn't put it in my notes. I'll add this later. In Revelation 6, 8, it says that death is riding on a pale horse. And it says, and right behind him followed Hades. Here comes hell right behind death. And was coming for everyone. Everyone. So when death itself, from the time you and I were born, death has been chasing us. Every one of us. Some you know death has caught. Loved ones, friends, family. Death has caught. It says in Revelation that you know who's right behind death? Hades. And how will you run and how will you hide from them? It is only in that cleft of the rock. It is only in Christ. Amen. He is our only security. Our efforts won't do it. He alone can do that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, Ryan, if y'all come back, and I think y'all are closing with a song. I appreciate you letting me be here. But more than that, I hope that you image and mirror God and his glory for the world. That you let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and give glory to God. That's why we were created. Amen. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed here in just a minute. God, you are Lord and you are good and you are sovereign and you are right and you are just and you are holy. And all of the words that we could gather to lift up your name still fall short. God, give us a glimpse of who you are so that we would be changed. That as we see you high and lifted up, it would change us entirely to be willing to follow, to serve, to give up our life because you died that those who live might no longer live for themselves but live for you who died and for our sake was raised. God, be glorified in our song as we sing in closing, as our life as we leave to the world to take your light out. Be glorified and honored. Let our sacrifice of praise be a pleasing aroma to you. In Jesus' name, amen.